Welcome to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We're excited you've joined us as we hear what God has to say to us through Scripture and this message from Pastor Paul. Maybe when you can think back and you first open up uh, the book of the New Testament and you started reading passages, and there you would see speaking of love and joy and peace and, and forgiveness and loving your enemies, and, and maybe your first inclination was, man, that writer sure must have lived a charmed life. There is no way they could have a life like mine filled with hardship and difficulty and trial and, and, and trouble. I, I bet they don't understand what it is to live my life. That is until you realize that a lot of those passages were written from a guy in jail, in an ancient Roman jail at that. This is serious stuff. So what we're going to see in our study of Colossians today is a passage about faith and hope and love written by a guy suffering in prison, and his name was Paul. And you know, in the case of when you are going through a very difficult, trying time, one of two things happen. Either it draws you in closer to the Lord or you step further away. Paul is in prison, suffering, for the very reason of his love for the Lord Jesus Christ, and that has pushed Paul into a closer intimacy with the Lord. And today we're going to eavesdrop on his prayer that Paul writes from prison and gets delivered to this church in the city of Colossae. We're on about a three-month journey to, to look at Colossians. We started last week with the first two verses. Today it's verses 3 through 14. I'm going to read it in its entirety, and then we'll come back and pick up some uh, more in-depth points. Paul writes to this church, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras. Now, we understand that Epaphras was the pastor of that church. Paul the apostle has never set foot in Colossae and certainly then not in this church. Epaphras is the pastor. He says, you learned it from Epaphras. You learned it from your pastor, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. And please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light 
for He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here's what's going on in Colossae. There's consumer spirituality run amok. What that town is dealing with, much like our culture deals with, is not what's in it for God, what works for God, it's what's working for me. What do I want to get out of this? So they would look at spirituality a lot like we do, sometimes as like a buffet. And I'll pick and choose what I want to believe and what I don't want to believe. So Paul is worried that this new church get deceived by a counterfeit spirituality. And so he begins with three evidences of real Christianity. What is real Christianity? It is faith internally, hope eternally, and love externally. Let's unpack these. So in verse 4, with faith internally, he says, We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. One of the evidences of real Christianity is personal intimate, internal faith in Jesus Christ. You may have been born into a Christian family, but you are born again through personal faith in Jesus Christ. And some people don't recognize this. They think, well, I was born in a Christian family. I I was baptized. I even became a member of a church. But here's the key. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know that in your heart? And this key absolutely unlocks everything else. This is why we love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We seek to follow Jesus. We serve Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. He becomes the center. And if you've experienced that, then you're a real Christian. If not, you really need Jesus. Because you see, we live in a day where people tend to focus on the sincerity of their faith and not the object of their faith. So you may hear this said of someone, well, they may not be a Christian, but they're very devout in what they believe. They're, they're very well-meaning. They're, they're very committed. They're very generous to their religion. They believe their spirituality. They may have faith, but the only faith that saves is faith that is in an object that's capable of saving So if anyone's faith is in someone or something other than Jesus, they've been lied to. So let me tell you who Jesus is. He's God. And we're going to hear a whole lot more about that next week because it's a powerful passage from 15 to 23 in chapter 1. What is it that Jesus does? He does what only God can do. And it begins with the bad news, though, that we're all sinners. We have disregarded and disobeyed God, but God in His great love went on a rescue mission for us. He sent His Son who became a man to live the life that we could not live, that is, a life without sin. And He died the death that we should have died, that is, death for our sin. And He is the only one who has given us a gift that we cannot earn, that is, the gift of salvation and access to eternal life and access to God. 
That's what faith in Him does. So do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? The second evidence for real Christianity is hope eternally. Paul speaks of that in his letter when he says, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. This is about living life, not culture up, but kingdom down. What will it be like when Jesus' kingdom ultimately takes over? Will all nations, all races, all cultures who believe in Him will be forgiven? There will be love, joy, peace, healing, reconciliation, no more sin, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. What the world needs is the kingdom of God unveiled through the church of Jesus Christ. So for us, we don't look out to the culture to determine what our church will be like. We look up to the kingdom and we want a church that is counter-cultural, kingdom-seeking, so that we are providing a fallen culture with another way to live and another king to follow, but one who lasts forever and calls us to repentance and redemption. That's our hope. And that is eternal. It has no boundaries. And then the third evidence for real Christianity is to love externally. You heard uh, so many times Paul speak about their love. In verse 4, the love you have for all God's people. Verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope. And in verse 8, talking about how they were told, Paul was told of the great love of the Colossian Christians. This is all about knowing the love that God has for you and wanting that love to flow through you out to others so that others experience that love. Ultimately, love is supernatural. It comes from God. It's unending. It's what happens when Jesus says, love your enemies, and you say, I can't. I don't have that within me. And God pours His love into you and says, now you do. Jesus says, love God, love one another. But let me tell you this. We are also going to annoy one another. We all have spiritual gifts, including the gift of annoying. I think we all have that gift. We're all going to annoy one another, and when we annoy one another, it's also an opportunity to love one another. And love is the way we truly demonstrate that we are real followers of Jesus Christ. Because love is bigger than our issues. And with love, we can work out our issues. Without it, we can't. What the Apostle Apostle Paul is talking about here is a divine, inexhaustible source of eternally flowing love. Practically, it means we pray for each other. It means we're about building one another up. You know, love is compelling. Love is kingdom-oriented. It reveals the heart of God. Love is not just what you say, it's also what you do. Look at the example that God gives. He doesn't just love in words. He loves by what He does. He comes to us as the Lord Jesus Christ to love us with His sinless life, His substitutionary death, His bodily ascension, and His granting of eternal salvation. 
So do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? Do you have faith internally? Do you have hope eternally? Do you have love externally? If the answer is no, or I'm not sure, let me plead with you. Let me invite you to turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus. Now let me transition from there to two ways that we can bring that reality of of Christianity into someone else's life. So how do you encourage, how do you nourish real love for Jesus in other people? First, through prayer. The Apostle Paul began this section talking about his prayer. Remember, we're eavesdropping in on this prayer. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Do you pray for others? When we do the Alpha Course, which we've done several times over the last few years, when we get to the section on prayer, there's a card that's handed out, and it's simply entitled, The Ten Most Wanted. And then there are ten lines underneath it to which you write down somebody's name. Family member, friend, coworker, acquaintance, neighbor. And that you commit to pray for those people. Because those names represent people that you don't believe have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're praying that God would, would speak to their heart and change their heart. And you're praying that you would get an opportunity to share Jesus They may not live near you, so you may have to pray for them from a distance, speaking life to them as you lift them before the Lord. That's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's not in Colossae with them. He's in a prison in Rome, and he's praying for them, and God is connecting them, closing that gap through prayer. And let me say this, when you pray for people, It helps guard your heart against jealousy. Here's what happens. We get jealous about other people. Well, they got a good job. How come I didn't get a good job? Well, they got married. How come I'm not married? They got divorced. How come I'm not? Okay, we won't go that far. Lori's over here doing this. We get jealous of people. So what happens when we pray? When we're praying for them, it means we have God's heart for them. A second way to nourish real Christianity is to simply learn to be an encourager. Here's what he speaks of, the true message of the gospel. So let's talk about that word gospel for a second. It means good news, the good news about Jesus Christ. That's literally what the word gospel means. It's Greek for good news. The good news of Jesus Christ means the Bible is not about you, it's for you, but it's ultimately about Jesus Christ. The story of Jesus is what is truth. So anything that is contrary, anything that is deviating from God's Word, is false. And the gospel is not just truth, it's good news truth. It's the good news that we have a problem, we are sinners by nature and by choice, and that results in death, and without 
God's intervention, we are doomed forever. The truth of the good news is that God sent His Son, and He loves us, and He saves us. And that's the good news of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul wants to encourage them in that good news of Jesus Christ. Here's the longer passage. He speaks of the true message of the gospel that has come to you as he's writing to them. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So the people have heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and they are clearly understanding it. And you know what this means? It means we can't just show people the gospel by our good works. Now, don't get me wrong. We can do something good for another knowing that what brought it about, what motivated it within us is a commitment to Jesus Christ, that we wanted to help them. And on occasion, they may wonder, okay, what is it that motivated you? And we get a chance to share then. But if we're truly seeking to have them understand that what prompted our good deed in the first place was our commitment to Jesus Christ, then just showing them is not enough. Why? Because the gospel is about Jesus Christ dying on the cross in our place for our sins as our substitute and our Savior, and three days later, rising to conquer our enemies of sin and Satan and death and hell. So yeah, there are good deeds that Christians must do, and there is good advice that Christians can certainly give, but there is also good news that Christians must proclaim. Now, why are all these important? Number one, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. You know what that's talking about? It's, it's about our walk with the Lord. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that you are a child of God. And, and that's simply affirming that God is my dad and I need to have him take me by the hand. And then you may say, I don't know the future, but I know my dad does. I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but my dad does. I don't know what my next step looks like, but my dad does. And here's the good news. God is your dad. He loves you, and he wants you to walk with him. And that means you'll never be alone. The second thing that gives us a reason to celebrate real Christianity is because God has qualified you, verse 12. You and I do not qualify ourselves. We can't. There's nothing we can do. You can't pray enough prayers, read enough scriptures, attend enough church services, give enough money, do enough good deeds... It's all about God stooping to our level. You know, no other religion in the history of the world has a God caring so much, loving so extensively, humbling Himself so completely to experience all that we do and even death, and what's more, take on our death. Every other religion, every other spirituality is trying to earn your way to God. 
Not only is that not possible, the good news is we don't have to. God has qualified you. And the last point, you know how He does it? For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is amazing. It's through Jesus that you go from darkness to light. You go from hell to heaven, from death to life, from condemnation to salvation, from enemy to family, and this great transference of identity, this great transference of citizenship occurs through Jesus. So you don't need to punish yourself. You don't need to try to pay God back. You don't need to disregard or diminish your sin, your your folly, your rebellion. You give it over to Jesus. He dies for you. He rises to live for you. And you can start your new life as a citizen of the kingdom of the Son. We hope you found this message to be encouraging. We'd love for you to join us on Sunday mornings. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and at bhprez.org for more information.